0: Welcome to the Daily Home Edit, the daily podcast from the team at Home Beautiful Magazine. I'm Features Editor Holly Byrne and today I'm joined by the fabulous Karen McCartney. Karen is incredibly well-known in the world of interiors, architecture and design for both her decorated career in magazines and her beautiful books. Many of you probably have at least one of them on your coffee table at home. Most recently, Karen's released Iconic, Modern Australian Homes from 1950 to 2000, a single best of edition compiling her previous books, which covered the 50s, 60s and 70s and the 70s, 80s and 90s. Welcome to the studio today, Karen. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Now, before we get on to this beautiful new book, can you tell me a bit about how you ended up in the wonderful world of homes and interiors? Because you're originally from the UK, is that right? Yeah, I'm originally from Belfast, actually. Oh. And then I went to
1: London to study when I was 18. And um, I worked for a while on an art magazine. And then I worked on a hair magazine. So I know a lot about hairstyles and bobs and different effects. And then I um, worked in, in fashion. Um, And that was a really interesting kind of phase, assisting on shoots and things like that. But then eventually married an Australian and we moved. We came here for two years and Marie Claire Lifestyle was just setting up with under Jackie Frank.
0: Oh, wow. So I got a job
1: there. So it was great timing. So suddenly I was in the home space and not the fashion space.
0: Wow. So did you study journalism? No, I studied
1: um, history of art and English.
0: Oh, wow. So,
1: yes, I was sort of kind of learning on my feet.
0: And were magazines something that you always wanted to get into? I don't think I even had that much awareness when
1: I was 17 and in Belfast. You know, the world of magazines would just, would just have seemed way too glamorous and way too beyond my capabilities. But things happen in, in steps. And I worked on a couple. Um, they launched a big, big magazine in the UK, one of those first custom titles for Marks and Spencer. And so that was that that kind of idea that you, um, you know, Took the, a bit like the David Jones magazine, but it was a very early um, of its kind. So that was a really interesting um, career
0: move. Wow. So you dabbled a bit in, in hair and in fashion? Yes, and in art. Oh, wow. <laughs> Quite a mixture. What was it about homes that really drew you in? Well, before
1: we came to Australia, I'd started to write for L Decoration in the UK. And um, when we moved here, I think sometimes it's an age and stage thing. I was kind of a bit done with fashion. I don't think I was actually very good at it. And I actually, when I got into the home side, it felt like a a much better fit for me.
0: And so you're obviously a lover of print, your mm. decorated career in magazines, and you've also released nine books, is it now? I suspect it's something like that, maybe eight, but that's <laughs> <A lot>.
1: incredible. <laughs> what was the first book? The first book was the first part of the one that we're going to talk about later, which is Iconic um, Australian Houses. And it was the first period, so it was 50s, 60s and 70s, um, and that was in 2006. Um, that that one was released. So I was editing Inside Out at the time and I was on maternity leave and I was sort of, I live in a mid-century house and I sort of thought, oh, if this is around, there must be others. And um, the book came out of kind of my surroundings in a way.
0: Well, and what was the discovery process behind finding all those beautiful houses like? What did it involve? Well, it was one of those things where a friend of mine, the
1: photographer of of the book, um, Michael Wee, said, oh, Murdoch books are looking for some ideas. And, And so he kind of took the idea to them. And I had no sense that would ever. So I did up a proposal. I, I did some research. I found some kind of types of houses, but I had no idea that it would ever actually get the OK. It was just one of those things to kind of keep Michael happy. And then when they said yes, I thought, oh, no, I've got to find these places and actually photograph them as they are today. Um, and that was really hard because I, you, you can't call something iconic and then have Everyday houses. So I set myself quite a strict criteria in terms of the architect had to be significant. The house had to be a really great example of their work. And it had to have an interior aesthetic that kind of matched the intent of the built form so that you didn't have, you know, a big stuffed floral sofa in a, in a sleek mid century house. So. Once you put all those criteria into play, it became quite hard to find the properties.
0: And how long did that first book take you to pull together? It probably took just over
1: uh, a year, um, which it isn't really too bad considering how many, you know, I went to every house I interviewed. Um, if the architect wasn't alive, I interviewed someone as close um, to the architect as possible. I did a lot of research and I was. I had a full-time job. So it was really kind of full-on weekends didn't really exist.
0: That's incredible. <laughs> I don't know how you managed it. A few other titles in your library of books include The Alchemy of Things and White Rooms. What inspires those kind of ideas and where did they start from? I think it's that funny thing of being
1: a magazine editor. You know, you're always kind of, are, ideas spark all the time. And um, I did a book called Superhouse with a photographer called That's Richard right. Powers. and. He, When I was researching his archive, I sort of thought, actually, there's a really great book in here of white rooms pulled from all different parts of his his archive. So that one was more of a kind of curation book. Um, and then I did one called Perfect Imperfect, was about yes. that idea of wabi-sabi and, and things that would age gracefully and patina and so forth. And that, that was a kind of slightly left to field concept that really hit a nerve and was very popular and continues to sell. I was going to say really ahead of well. time. Yeah, oh, it was it's a it's it was a great trending. one. And it sort of was picked up in the UK and the States and wow. so forth. So Alchemy of Things kind of came out of that some of the um people that were featured in that book, the type of people. And alchemy is a bit more out there. I don't think it's everybody's cup of tea because it's not really sort of, this is an easily accessible, get the look sort of thing. It's kind of people who are so... Um, passionate about their aesthetic and their design idea. They kind of don't look to trends. They don't look left or right. They just kind of wholeheartedly go along their own path. Um, and so it, for me, was a book I really, really loved doing. I felt very kind of attached to it as a topic. It's
0: such a fascinating book, that one, I think. I was recently in LA and mm-hmm. I actually saw one of your titles. Oh, it's a bit exciting. In the foyer, <laughs> just in the waiting area as you check in. What have been some of the most exciting places you've seen your books? It's
1: funny, people send me pictures, so they're maybe in Denmark oh, and they beautiful. see it in a little stack in a, oh, a homeware sh- store. Yeah, it's really nice to see because in a way as an author you kind of hand it over to the publisher and yes, you get reports from time to time on how it's selling and so forth but you kind of send this thing out into the world and you don't really know where it ends up. So it's not that I've seen it. I've seen it in bookshops here myself, but I rely on other people to kind of flick me the odd image from from all over the world.
0: Oh, I should have taken that You should have. I really should have. <laughs> what has been some of your career highlights in, in terms of book publishing? You know, it's a funny thing because each time you
1: do a book, you've got to be utterly passionate about that particular one. Your head has got to be so utterly in that space. Um, and it's always, I guess the latest one. And they're so different because I also did an architecture book on contemporary architects with Bell. Um, And what I love is the collaborative aspects. So whether it's architecture, design, interiors, you're thrown into this world and you get to meet these great people who you learn so much through the interview process and through analysing, you know, how the images and the text work together and what it is they're trying to say. And um, so in a funny way, each one at its time was the most important i guess now you look back and, and and when we come to this um version of iconic is a bind up of the two previous books brought brought together and so i've always loved this this kind of period um but each each is different and so each delivers something different so i guess they're all highlights to me it's a bit like having
0: children you can't kind of pick Country's a favorite, a favorite. <laughs> Well, back on the latest release of iconic modern Australian houses, nineteen fifty to two thousand, is it? It's a bit of a greatest hits of the first two versions. Well, they've they've called it greatest hits, but actually,
1: I think there's only three houses that from the two books aren't in it. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so we've really I I find the process of editing it and and how we um approached it actually quite um, intense because I found it really difficult I worked with the publishers on which ones we should leave out for various Good reasons, but we also added in a new one. Um, the Daryl Jackson. The one that got away. The one that got away. Tell me about that one. Yeah. Well, we'd, we'd photographed it and I'd written it. And, and, you know, sometimes as in the process of these things, when the architects saw it, they felt it just wasn't the right time. It was a very private family home. And I think they probably felt, "Mm, we just don't want it to be out there right now. Uh, And when I came to re-looking at the book, I went back to them and, and I genuinely felt that there was something missing not having that project in there and that it did sort of complete it. Plus it brought something new. Um, and so when they said yes, I was really thrilled because it, it sort of yes, I pulled it back into the into the fold. So although it's great assist, it's actually pretty much you you're getting really most of the content from both of the books in one volume and it's all been redesigned. And that was an interesting process too.
0: So what did you change up in this
1: version? Well, there were things that we had in the first one that were after every chapter we did um two pages of details and that was an opportunity to delve into some of the um the the smaller things in the stories and so we just we took those out so we saved, you know, 48 pages twice or whatever. So it became wow. a very mathematical um exercise in trying to get as many of the cha- of the original houses in as possible while not compromising the design and how they looked. But in revisiting the design, sometimes one of those smaller pictures, you think, actually, that's really interesting. That could become a bigger picture. And so the emphasis has slightly shifted in this book. Um, So interestingly, it feels fresh, um, even though it's kind of just been through the filter of a new design process.
0: And what prompted you to bring this one out now? Um well you know
1: it's 12 years since the f- the first one and um I think interest in this kind of topic has grown uh, fr- through a, you know a broader um public interest um you know Tim Ross has done a lot on you know on television and promoting that Absolutely. idea and, and so um we just thought that I I've it's look at something I've banged on about for ages because I sort of always felt that um, people kept asking me, oh can I get the first one in hardback because it went from hardback to paperback and you could only buy it on you know eBay and it was getting quite expensive. and so I thought, well, it wouldn't it be great? To, and sometimes if you just chip away and chip away and eventually um, I was very grateful that they agreed to um, to do this
0: exercise. It is beautiful. Were there any other standouts in there that you included?
1: Um, not, we really just reworked that, um, original material and, um, but you know, it's so interesting to, to, to revisit things and actually to think, does this still stand up? You know, to question yourself, is there validity in, in redoing this, this again? Absolutely. And I felt really, I feel quite protective of these houses and some of them, um, have already changed, um, the, um, Ken Woolley house in Palm Beach. Somebody bought it and they made it over in such a way that it's not recognizable anymore. You know, it was an award-winning house. It was sensitive, beautiful, crafted, and it's gone. So, you know, this is a moment in time when these things are captured and, they may not be here forever, um, which is very sad. So I'm very. it's very important to me to have kind of gathered them up. And, and, and a lot of the architects that- have died, actually, in between the first book and, and this one coming out. So, wow. you know, I've dedicated the book to all those ones that I've met and liked and interviewed,
0: um, but that have passed away during that period. It's so special that you have captured some of those beautiful homes while they were still as they were. Now that it's covering this book the 1950s to 2000, do you have a favorite decade in terms of the architecture that you've seen come through? It's funny because the ones that are popular are that kind of
1: 50s and 60s period with people just beginning to get their head around the 70s, and I think people think of 80s as kind of the decade that, you know, architecture forgotten it all went all postmodern and a bit, but the projects that I've chosen because they're grounded in being Australian, they're all actually I think really good interesting projects um so um i don't really i think when it comes to i'm often asked which are the favorites and um so it's more individual houses that for me speak to me rather than what decade they were in so the um hugh Burick house which is in castle crag with this incredible wave roof form and a bright red um bathroom is kind of stunning. And then there's a house in Palm Beach by architect Richard Laplastrier, which has got canvas walls and it opens up. Um, it's kind of a barrel vaulted ceilings and it opens up to the sky. That's a very special place. And then the house that we live in and have lived in for 20 years, which kind of kickstarted the whole project, that is very special to me. So that's one from the 60s and one, two from the 70s. Um, And then the one that closes the book, the Donovan Hill one in 2000s, or 2000, um, it's a really beautiful, interesting project. So they all bring, they all have something different to say.
0: Of course. Looking forward after looking back at all these amazing homes, how do you see Australian architecture changing into the future? It's funny that the principles that are in these um,
1: houses, when you look at contemporary um, architect-designed homes, many of those things are being pulled through. You know, the things that we look at, like that connection of inside to out. Like there's one of the earliest outdoor kitchens in the Peter Stutchbury house there. You know, things that we now take as kind of almost standard to how we live, you can see those ideas in there. I think... um, houses have got very big. So in a way, if people could maybe um, take some, you know, a lot of these houses are actually on a budget. They're not that big moneyed kind of house, but it's the cleverness of the architectural thinking that makes them interesting. And I think that those are things that um, especially younger architects are really tapping into those ideas of um, materials and things wearing beautifully and simplicity and um, orientation. So kind of, core principles that kind of play out but they also bring their own layer of of different thinking which of course is really important
0: of course and finally what do you think the chances are we'll see a fourth edition of iconic in well, a that few that's years to what come you say people
1: <laughs> i do that when i was 70 you know i could look back and do cuz with iconic you need a little bit of distance um, in order to kind of make sure that those things kind of they're not because it's easy to be attracted by what's fashionable. And it's kind of, you need a bit of time to distill what is actually really important. Um, so yes, yeah, so I can keep chipping away at that one. That can be a long-term retirement project. <laughs> I look
0: forward to it either way. Thank you so much for joining me in the studio today. Thank you. That's a wrap today for the Daily Home Edit. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Catch you tomorrow. Bye.